guys ready to get into the Word of God? Yeah. Amen. Let's start off here with a word of prayer. Father, God, we come before you. God, very grateful for this beautiful day, uh, for the fact that you brought us all together. Uh, God, because of your word, we can, we can say just very firmly that we truly love each other, that we love you, Father. If it wasn't for you calling us out of the darkness of the world, we wouldn't be here today, Father. And we're just so grateful for the deep relationships you've given us, especially with your son, Jesus Christ, Father. I pray for this time right now as we get into your word that our hearts will be moved and our minds will be changed and we'll leave here even better disciples, more and more resembling of Christ than we've ever been before. Yeah. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, please turn your Bible to John chapter 13. Yeah. The title of our message this morning is The Technique of the Towel. In John chapter 13, we read a very important passage. And we're going to study it out because this really is the secret to having deep relationships, not just with God, not just with Jesus, but also with each other and with the lost. And Jesus teaches us very plainly right here in verse 33. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I will now tell you where I'm going. You cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see right here, the time for Jesus' departure is drawing near. And he's there with all of his disciples and he decides that it's time to give them a new command. Now this command at first glance to love each other looks like it should probably be a prerequisite to following Jesus in the first place. I mean, wouldn't you think that on day one, he would call them to follow him and say, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you got to like the other guys that are also going to be following me. Mm. But he doesn't. He saves it for the very end of his life here on earth. And his wow. newest command, his final command, is very simple, and he just says to love each other. But what makes it new? What makes it unique from all the other passages in the Bible that say to love each other? What makes this very unique is now he's got a standing example for how we need to be loving each other. You see what I'm saying right here? Yeah. You know, it's really incredible. It really, truly is. This is a passage that so many of us have read and reread and even taught at times. And yet, I don't know if we fully grasp how deep this passage really is. You see, what makes it a new command and what makes it a great command is not the fact that he just said to love each other, but really the context of the command, which is to do it just like I have loved you. Well, what had Jesus done recently to give an example to his followers to truly love each other? Let's go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time for him to leave this world and go to the Father had come, having loved his own who were in the world, but now showed them the full extent of his love. You see, the evening meal was being served, and the devil was already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them 
with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who had said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will, re you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon, Simon Peter replied, uh, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has already had a bath needs only to wash their feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you have these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, Jesus is here with his guys. And John gives us a little uh, running start to the passage. And he says, this is the moment. Have you heard of the moment? Have you heard of the moment? This was that moment when Jesus was going to show everyone the full extent of his love. If you hadn't heard it, let me tell you a little story about what happened. And of course, he starts off telling us that the time of the Passover feast was near because that, of course, was the time when Jesus would be killed as a Passover lamb for our sins. He makes sure to tell us that everyone was there, including Judas, the betrayer. He makes sure to tell us that we should understand that they understood that Satan was also at work this night. And he makes sure to tell us that Jesus already knew that Judas would betray him. You see, John was giving us a running start because this moment was a moment they'd never forget. This time, it, it may have only lasted 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but it was a moment they would never forget. What is this moment? Well, it says he takes off his outer clothing, he puts a towel around his waist, and he washes their feet. And you go, what's the big deal? You see, we don't fully grasp this passage because we don't have slaves in our homes nowadays that are expected to wash our feet every time we walk in the door. See, but back then, they had slaves, and that was, that was the lowliest of their job. That was the worst part of their day, was the day when the master would come in the door, and they would sit down, and they were expected to wash the feet. Now, not rinse the feet. Wash the feet. Wash the feet till the feet were clean. And then they would get up and continue on around the house. Jesus here, being the master, being the teacher, being the one that they had been learning from for the last three years, has them sit down, and he gets down on his knees and washes their feet. And this was the full extent of his love. You go, well, why? I mean, didn't he die on the cross? He did. But up to this moment, this was the full extent of his love. This was the most loving message he could send to them, was that he was willing to wash their feet. Why is this so important? Well, if you're willing 
to strip down to your undergarments. Wrap a towel around your waist. Wash someone else's feet on your knees until their feet are clean and dry them off. Then the reality is you're willing to do anything for that person. I mean, there would be no other sign that you could show somebody that you truly love them if you were willing to wash their feet. Because that alone was a symbol that you were now in their service as their servant. Isn't that incredible? And then Jesus gets up and he goes, now I've shown you, now you are clean, and now you need to do this for each other. You know, this was a very profound moment. And this was going to be the plan of Jesus to keep the church unified for all time. This was the plan of Jesus to inspire the disciples not to talk behind each other's back, not to betray each other, not to allow divisiveness in the church, not to allow gossip in the church. No, because we are each other's servants. And when you're willing to wash someone else's feet, you're not going to do any of that other stuff. In fact, you are willing to go above and beyond to do whatever they need you to do to meet their needs, to have their feet washed. You know, this passage isn't talking about washing each other's dishes, doing each other's chores, running errands with each other, borrowing each other's things, staying up late for conversations. This is a very simple passage, and it says that we need to wash each other's feet. You know, if you look at church history over the last 2,000 years, all the problems can be summed up into this verse right here. The disciples stopped washing each other's feet. You see, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that the disciples would remain perfectly united in the same way that he was perfectly united with God, his Father. And if that was Jesus' number one prayer the night before he died and would be betrayed by Judas, then don't you think that perhaps Satan's number one goal is to pit us against each other, to drive wedges into the church, to split the church and disunify the church? And that's exactly what we've seen over the last 2,000 years. See, the heart of a disciple is to wash all the other disciples' feet until their feet are clean. Now, the reality is we could stop right there. I mean, we really could. We could stop right there. We could challenge everybody. Okay, now take some time this week. Find a disciple that you don't know all that well. Get down on your knees in your undergarments with a towel around your waist and wash their feet till their feet are clean. And that could be the challenge. And that would be a pretty good sermon right there. Wouldn't it? I mean, I'd be fired up if a sermon was only 10 minutes long and we could just stop right there and then I get that simple little challenge and now I'm going to draw closer to another disciple that I I am not normally that close. I'm going to get down on my knees, wash Kim's feet. They're going to be sparkly clean. She's going to be so fired up. I'm going to get between the toes. I'm going to to clean out under the toenails. I mean, I'm going to make sure they are crispy. They are so clean. And then I'm going to take out my towel and I'm going to dry them off and they are going to shine. And all the rest of you sisters are going to be jealous that you don't have feet like him. I mean, they're going to be amazing. You're going to be knocking on my door. Joel, can you come wash my feet? We can get some time together. Then the brothers are going to hear about it. The brothers are going to say, Joel, I, 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 really, I know I borrowed $40 last week, but I, I really need you to wash my feet the same way that you washed Kim's feet. But you know what? Kim's going to be inspired, and she's going to go wash someone else's feet. 
Yeah. And they're going to be inspired. They're going to watch the monster. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, the whole church is perfectly unified. You see, because when you're down on your knees and you're washing somebody else's feet, you can bring up issues. Hey, sis, you know, I, I just got to let you know. <clears throat> that thing that you did last week really kind of bothered me. But, you know, I, I love you, sis. I really appreciate you. I know that... I know, that, I, know that, I know that the Lord has worked in your life. I, I know that you listened to, to Gina's communion there about affliction, and I know you appreciate it. Um, I just got to be open. And you know what, Darren? Bro, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Thank you for being open with me. It's, it's okay, sis. We're going to have a great day. Amen. Wouldn't you know that the church would be perfectly united? If only we had this heart. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the challenge to go wash everyone's feet. If you want to do it, amen, go ahead for it. Go for it. But the, the question is, do you have the heart for it? Now, here's the ugly truth. I know some of us don't have the heart for it. Because you don't even do the little things for each other. You get attitudes about the little things. It's not even worth questioning, are you willing to wash someone else's feet, when you're not even willing to wash their dishes without getting an attitude. When you're not willing to help them on their schoolwork without getting an attitude. we got to have this heart of Jesus to wash each other's feet. So we're not going to stop right there. Because I don't think 10 minutes is enough to get our hearts to repent. So we're going to go through some things right here that I think really should inspire us to want to wash each other's feet. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter... Chapter 5, we'll read a passage that perhaps you've read before. In verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We need to be self-controlled. Not emotional, but self-controlled. And alert. Vigilant. you got to literally keep an eye out for this stuff. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, lions don't do anything less than devour. That's what they do. They devour their food. They don't just attack it and leave it for dead. They eat it. They devour it until it is no more. And that's what Satan wants with all of us. So what's the challenge? It says, resist the devil. Now we know from James chapter 4 verse 7, when you resist the devil, he will leave you. So we got to resist the devil. He'll leave us. Stand firm in your faith. And you know that your brothers and sisters all over the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Now, this right here, this inspires me. Why does this inspire me so much? Well, we know the goal. We know the goal. Jesus wants us to be totally united. We know the solution. we got to have a heart to wash each other's feet. And now we know the enemy. I mean, there's not a lot of things in life. You can say you know the goal, you know the solution, and you know the enemy. Come on. Right? That's why they have car mechanics. Right? That's why they have plumbers. Right? You, you, you're missing out on the, on the goal. You're trying to figure out the solution. Or you just cannot figure out what the problem is. Right. But we know in life, we know the goal, we know the solution, 
and we know the enemy. Isn't that amazing? So Satan cannot take us off our feet. We should not be confused by any of the situations going on in our life. The Word of God has instructed us fully and fully equipped us for everything that's about to happen this upcoming week. We know the goal, and we know the solution, and we know the problem. We know the enemy. So with that in mind, what did we do? This last Friday night, we got together for an all-night prayer. Now, the police officer was kind of following us around. I don't know if you noticed, but he was following us around in his car. And he didn't, he didn't engage. He didn't say anything. So I engaged him. At the fifth hour, I engaged him. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, how you doing? Um, I just want to let you know what we're doing here. Now, I had my hoodie. I had my hat on. So I, I unzipped my jacket, took my hood off, took my hat off, wanted him to see, like, we're an innocent you know, a bunch of people. And, uh, I, you know, I went up to him. I said, hey, how you doing? My name's Joel. Uh, I'm, I'm the leader of this group. We're all together. And it's really amazing. We've gotten together to pray all night. And he goes, what you? What? <laughs> He's like, I was wondering what you guys are doing. It was really weird. You're like walking in circles and like <laughs> wandering all over campus. I wasn't too sure. That's why I've been following you around. I said, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just, we're just praying. Why are, why are you guys, you know what? I look around. I'm not even going to ask you why you're doing it. I, I just appreciate it. Wow. I said, really? He said, yeah. You know, I could go up to 17th to 45th right now, and there'd be parties going on. But I appreciate the fact that you guys are on campus praying. I go, well, Chris, you know, we're, we're a part of a church. You got to come check it out sometime. He said, maybe I will. And he, I gave him all the information, and he told me he's going to contact me, which he hasn't yet, but I, I, I believe he will. But, you know, Chris was moved. By the fact that we were on campus doing an all-night prayer. I said, this isn't the only time we've done this. This is now the third time that we've all gotten together to pray over this campus. He said, this campus needs a lot of prayer. I see some sketchy stuff at night. I said, well, we're going to change that. We're here to change that. This, this campus is going to be glorifying to God. He goes, he goes, that's really incredible. And he started getting open with me about some stuff. I mean, he was getting so open that even after about five minutes of sharing it, he said, you know what, maybe I've shared too much. I said, no, it's, it's fine. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. You know, people are moved by the fact that we got together. Over 25 of us got together to pray all night, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. Is it about the time? Is it about six hours? No, it's, it's about the fact that we did it from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., that we were exhausted. Some of you guys were pounding energy drinks. Because you wanted to stay up and you wanted to pray and God is moved by your heart. You see, Jesus prayed all night twice in the scriptures. The first time was to select his 12 apostles in Mark chapter 3. The second time he did it was the night before he died. He stayed up all night to pray. And so that's why we get together to pray. Because we want to move God so he can move our ministry. We know our goals. We wanted to pray for the goals. What's the goal? To save more souls, to see more people baptized than ever before in the campus ministry. We're willing to stay up all night to see that happen. Amen. We prayed for the solution. What's the solution? We got to be bold in our preaching. Amen. We know the solution. We just got to open our mouths. And of course, we prayed against the enemy. I believe that you either pray or you will be pray. You've got to pray hard to God. Or Satan's going to go after you. you got to pray against Satan. you got to pray against Satan. That, that Jesus will bind him up. That we can do what we need to do to preach God's word. You know, Satan wants so badly just to make all of us his victims. 
And this upcoming fall, you have an opportunity for him to be the victim and for you to be victorious by the blood of Jesus. You guys with me here? You know, I think that many of us come here and we think that we love people. We really, really do. We think because we feel so in love with people. We feel like maybe we love our boyfriend or girlfriend, but we feel like we love our roommates. We feel like we love each other. You look around this room, you got no true attitudes with anybody. And that might be true. Maybe you do truly love everyone in this room. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't motivated to love because of his feelings. He was motivated to love because it was simply a command given to him by God himself. Look over in John chapter 15. You know, some of us think that this level of love is reserved for those in the kingdom. That you only really love people after they decide to make Jesus their Lord and get baptized and be true disciples of Jesus. But the moment they start to pull their heart back and get weak, that we don't have to love them to this degree any longer. But Jesus says right here in John 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that your joy, so that... My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus says that the secret to bearing fruit right here is love. Love each other. Love God. Love the lost. The secret is love. You don't bear fruit without love. You see, this love is not only reserved for the family of believers. You've got to believe in the cross, but you've got to believe in service. You've got to understand that true love is found in your heart to serve those around you. I believe that sometimes we want to bear fruit up on the mountaintop where everybody can see it. But Jesus says you're going to bear fruit down in the valley on your knees and in prayer. We need to understand that Jesus bore the cross so that we would bear the towel. And our job is to serve and to serve and to serve. Come on, bro. I think that we need to learn from Christ's love. I'm almost done here. But I want to go through three facts about Christ's love that we need to implement into our own lives. Amen? Amen. The first fact is that Christ's love has no end. It is boundless. There's nothing he's unwilling to do. And that is why he got down on his knees, nearly naked, to wash the feet of his disciples. It had no end. It was boundless. It had no limit. Jesus was showing them the full extent of his love with the towel. I mean, he would clean their feet, but the heart was that their feet would stay clean. So this was a symbol of the fact that he was going to die on the cross soon on the Passover, and his blood would wash their sins away. But then he would ascend up into heaven, and he put the responsibility on all of them to love as he has loved, which means that it was up to the other disciples to wash each other's feet. You see, the muddy feet from the world would be cleaned by Jesus, but then it was up to the disciples to wash each other's feet to keep each other clean. And when people would start to fall away, it was going to be because they stopped washing each other's feet. The heart of Jesus was initially, he took the burden on himself to save the world. But then to keep it saved, he put the burden on the disciples. The calling that he would give them in just a couple chapters, in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in Luke 24, 
in John 20, the calling was simple. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Wash their feet. Keep them clean. It is our responsibility to look around the fellowship. See who's got muddy feet. See who needs a little attention. Oh, this sister right here, we gotta we get down there and we clean out these toes right here. See this brother? Man, it's gonna be a major struggle, but we gotta have deep time this week. That's a lot of crust. <laughs> Bro, I know you took a shower this week, but did you wash them feet? Well, we gotta have a deep time. We got we got to get down to the nitty gritty, if you know what I'm talking about. You see, Jesus put the responsibility on us to wash each other's feet and to call out the sin and to put no limits on our love. The second fact that we learn about Jesus's love is that he gave his love from a command. From a command. Jesus loved because it was the right thing to do. He didn't love expecting it to be reciprocated. He loved because he was told to love. He got his heart around it, and he loved, simply because he wanted to please God. You know, we we often talk about the fact that Jesus had disciples, but rarely do we think about the fact that Jesus himself was a disciple. He was a disciple of his Father. In fact, in John 4, 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He says, I'm only doing what I was told to do. In John chapter 8, verse 16, he says, If I judge, my decision is right, because I stand with the Father. In Hebrews 5, verse 8, we learn that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And that's really what being a disciple is all about, learning and obeying. You see, Jesus was the greatest disciple, and he simply was calling us to love each other the way that he initially loved us. Look over in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5 or 6, Paul writes this when he says, You see that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you would wash somebody's clean feet. Very rarely would you wash someone's nasty feet. See, we would all wash somebody's clean feet. You wash your own feet. But Jesus didn't come to wash clean feet. He laid down his life for sinners. There was no evidence or proof that any of his love would be reciprocated. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The heart of Jesus was that I'm going to love even with no guarantee that anybody is going to respond. I'm going to wash this person's feet, and they may never even say thank you. I'm going to serve this brother, serve this sister. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to pour myself out, and they may never even appreciate my love. But that was the heart of Jesus. He had no goal in mind other than, I'm just loving God. I'm pleasing God. I'm doing what is right. Look over in Hebrews chapter 6. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. God is not unjust. 
He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. See, God's not unjust. People are unjust. Romans also teaches, let God be true and every man a liar. People are unjust. People are not right. But God will never let you down. God's not unjust. God is perfect. He appreciates it. He will say thank you. 100% of the time. And you can trust that as you love people, and you're doing it for God, that God will reciprocate the love back to you. We need to learn this second fact. That we need to love simply because it was a command of God. Not looking for anything in return. The third fact, and this is a fact, is simply the sincerity of your love is directly parallel to the degree of your humility. The sincerity of your love is directly parallel to the degree of your humility. Look over in Matthew chapter 11. Why was Jesus such a phenomenal servant to those around him? Well, simply put, Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus was the greatest servant of all time because he was the most humble person. Of all time. He says, come to me. Learn from me. I am gentle and I am humble at heart. You follow me. You're going to learn how to serve. And then he says, you will find rest for your souls. We think serving is exhausting. That's one of the reasons why we don't like to do it. But he says, in fact, when you do it with this humble heart, you're going to actually find rest for your souls. You know, when we can serve each other with a sincerity of heart, with a true humility, doesn't it kind of feel good? I mean, we have these mercy events where we go out and we try to help the community. If you go with a bad attitude, you're going to leave with a good attitude. No matter what. Because the Lord is going to transform your heart in that time of service. There's something humbling. Something humbling about serving those that need to be served. We need to serve with a humility. And then you will find a rest for your soul. You know, why do we not serve? Simply, we're looking for appreciation. Simply, we don't want to spend the time. We think it's going to be exhausting. We've got some selfishness inside of our hearts. And Jesus says, come to me, do this, and you will actually find rest for your souls. You know, in closing, these facts need to be our technique for the towel. Number one, have no limits on your love. Have no limits on your love. Someone asks you to do something, you got the time, you got the energy, do it. You don't try to find a way to do it. Secondly, love God, and therefore love others. You see, when you do this and you're looking for appreciation, a pat on the back and a thank you, you may or may not get it. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. You don't want to fall away because of bitterness and resentment, expecting things in the church that just aren't realistic. We need to love God and therefore love each other. And of course, what the scriptures teach is we need to love with humility. With a true humility, with a gentleness, but a sincere humility that's going to parallel the sincerity of our love. Then it's going to be felt, then you will see the effect, and then it might be reciprocated. But the fact is, 
God will humble our hearts through service. You know, the scriptures are very simple. We need to master the towel. And no matter where you go, you're going to have a towel in your hand. You know, our dear sister Nicole, today, this afternoon, we're having our little going away party because she's going to be going to Australia. And yes, she's going to train. And yes, she's going to be an intern. And yes, Lord willing, she'll end up in Hong Kong eventually. But she's going to serve. She's going to be a master servant for the Australians. And then she's going to go to Hong Kong. She's going to be a master servant for the Chinese. And that's the heart of a disciple. That you're going to serve your brothers and sisters here. And as we scatter around the world to plant discipling congregations all over the world, we will be masters of the towel. We will have the technique of the towel. And God is going to use us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. In other words, they too will be masters of the towel. And Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Love you guys. Thanks.